Chapter Twenty of Bunyip Land. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Lucy Burgoyne. Bunyip Land by George Manville Fenn. Chapter Twenty. How Jimmy turned up a trump. Even then I could not shoot, but remained staring, helplessly fascinated for a few minutes by the coming danger. At last, though, I turned to Ty High, leaning back and touching him where he crouched, busily seizing upon the arrows that came in his way and sending them back. He crept up to me directly and pointed to the bush. His eyes glistened, and bending forward, he drew an arrow to the head, and was about to send it winging into the very centre of the bush, when we suddenly became aware of some strange excitement amongst the savages, who undoubtedly now caught sight of the bush for the first time and sent a flight of arrows at it. The effect of this was that he who had been making use of it. For a shield suddenly darted from behind it and made for our shelter. Aroo, aroo! exclaimed the men with us, yelling with delight, while to cover his escape we all fired at the savages, who had come out of their concealment, but only to dart back again. For one after the other, three large stones came bounding down the mountain side. Scattering the enemy to cover, and the duel once more began, with our side strengthened by the presence of a brave fighting man, and refreshed, for a roo had his water calabash slung from his shoulders, containing quite a couple of quarts, which were like nectar to us, parched and half dying with thirst. Its effects were wonderful. The heat was still intense. But after the refreshing drought, small as it was that we had imbibed, I seemed to see clearly the giddy sensation passed off, and we were ready to meet the attack with something like fortitude. We could think now too of some plans for the future, whereas a quarter of an hour before there had seemed to be no future for us, nothing but a horrible death. At our enemy's hands, Ty High contrived to make us understand now that as soon as the sun had gone down and it was dark, he would lead us away to the river side and then along the gorge, so that by the next morning we could be far out of our enemy's reach when they came expecting to find us in the cave. His communication was not easy to comprehend, but that this was what he meant there could be no doubt, for we all three read it in the same way. Encouraged then by this hope, we waited impatiently for the going down of the sun, which was now slowly nearing the broad shoulder of a great hill. Another half hour, and it would have disappeared. When the valley would begin to fill with shadows, darkness, the tropic darkness, would set in at once, 
and then I knew we should have to lose no time in trying to escape. But we were not to get away without an attack from the enemy of a bolder nature than any they had yet ventured upon. For some little time the arrow-shooting had slackened, and we watched anxiously to see what it meant, for there was evidently a good deal of excitement amongst the enemy, who were running from bush to stone, and had we been so disposed, we could easily have brought three or four down. But, of course, all we wished for was freedom from attack and in the hope that they were somewhat disheartened, and were perhaps meditating retreat, we waited and withheld our fire. Our hopes were short-lived, though, for it proved that they were only preparing for a more fierce onslaught, which was delivered at the end of a few minutes, some twenty savages bounding along the slope, war-club in hand, two to fall disabled by a mass of stone that thundered down from above. We fired at the same moment, and the advance was checked, the savages gathering together in a hesitating fashion, when, crash, crash, another mass of rock, which had been set at liberty far up the hillside, came bounding down gathering impetuous and setting at liberty an avalanche of great stones, from which the savages now turned and fled for their lives, leaving the valley free to a single black figure, which came climbing down from far up the steep slope, waddy in hand, and on reaching the level advanced towards us in the fast darkening eve, looking coolly to the right and left to see if any enemy was left, but without a single arrow being discharged. A minute later he was looking over our breastwork into the shallow cave, showing his teeth, which shone in the gloom as he exclaimed, Black fella dreadful hungry. Give Jimmy something eat. All gone now. End of chapter 20